Hello, everybody. Welcome to another Minutes with Mute here. I'm your host, Mike Galtieri, joined alongside BC IMG sideline reporter, former BC quarterback Scott Mutrin joins us. He was down there in Tallahassee. Tough one for the Eagle faithful and the Eagle fans, 22 to 21. BC falls to 7 and 4. Florida State improves to 5 and 6. They keep their bowl streak chances alive with this win, Scott. But just first of all, Scott, why have you here? Just your general thoughts on this game. A tough loss for the Eagles. Yeah, it's more a tough loss that they they definitely BC was a better team and should have put in, should have put Florida State away. And you know, they had numerous chances earlier in the game and some mental mistakes when they're first and goal on the two and they get two false star penalties. Uh, they get an interception. They drop an interception later in the game, and they just didn't capitalize on enough opportunities. And it was frustrating because a lot of people want to refer to the fourth and one call late in the game, but at that moment, Florida State still had three timeouts. So even if BC converts there, there's no guarantee that the game is over. It does help their situation, but no guarantee. And it's just just a frustrating loss because I felt BC was a better team on that field. That, that entire day, and they were really kind of controlled the entire second half. And to see them end up on the losing end of that, thanks to kind of basically two big plays uh, from Florida State, was frustrating. Yeah, you, Scott, you brought up that fourth one. That's really what everyone's talking about. What, my question, what, what is your take from the sidelines? Why did BC burn a timeout just to not even call a play? You know, they're only... They, they, all they did was try to draw Florida State offside. It seemed like, why do you need to burn a timeout to settle that? Unless they were just trying to talk it over. But it really hurt them having no timeouts uh, on the after the Florida State touchdown coming back the other way. Yeah, I mean, it did yes and no. I guess the, the, the couple things is they had already called two timeouts earlier in the half. Yeah. Uh, one, one was on third and 18, which I thought that they should have just taken the delay because third of 18 is not a really convertible town. They ended up converting on that third and eight. And then they, later in the fourth quarter when they decided to go for it on fourth down, they actually took a timeout again and converted. This third time, on the third timeout, it felt to me that going into it, I, I felt that they were weighing their options and really felt that they wanted to go for it on that fourth down. And I think the original thought was them going into the huddle, they were going to go for it on that fourth and one. And after somewhere along the lines in that timeout, they felt that, and, and I agreed with this because I said this on the broadcast, I felt at that point in time, Florida State had not shown the ability to move the ball consistently down the field and, and score touchdowns against Boston College. They, they just hadn't done it. And BC had an opportunity there on the 40-yard line. And who knows what happens with the snap? You don't want to shorten the field and make it easier for them. And I said it that they should have punted, pin them deep, make it tough for them to go. And and I still agree with that call. I, I don't think that was the wrong call. And then I think coming out of it, they said, well, at least we have a timeout left. Let's see if we can draw them off sides to do that. And that was neither here nor there. I think if, if they felt that from the beginning, they should have run that play originally before even getting into the timeout situation. But I really feel – going in the original timeout that their entire plan was to go for it on fourth down. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, you make a lot of good points. I think the other the counter-argument is if you get a first down right there, Florida State still has three timeouts, but the game is, you know, you get one more first down after that, it's over. So yeah, I think that's that, right, that, true, and that's very true. And that, that's 
you never know what happens because in hindsight you can always look back and say, yeah, they just need one more first down. Well, there's no guarantee. Florida State has done a good job that entire game, even though the, you know A.J. Dillon ran for over 100 yards, it took him 37 carries to do it. BC only averaged 2.6 yards a rush. So it's not like BC was ripping off huge plays there late in the game in the running game. So there's no guarantee you get that first down. Does it help? And, yeah, absolutely. Does it deplete Florida State from their timeouts? Absolutely. But the fact of the matter is Florida State scored in about 45, 45 to 50 seconds anyways because I feel that there was a blown coverage in the back end because usually in that situation you're not going to let a team that needs a touchdown give them a free release and allow them to hit a big play over the top. You want to keep everything in front of you. So I tend to believe that I think there was a coverage blown in the back end, and from the review of it, it looks like one of the safeties bid on an in-cut route that he probably shouldn't have done. But that's part of the humanistic aspect of playing the football game, and that's why the games aren't decided by computers. They have to go out and make the plays. But I don't disagree with that move. Is it conservative? Yes. But in the end, BC has shown their ability to get to the quarterback, Zach Allen and Wyatt Ray, and other guys have, have been in the backfield most of the day. So I felt really confident in the defense going out there and getting a stop, which they had done the previous series and gotten the ball back to BC. So the, the way it played out, sure, like the results tell you differently, but the numbers and, and all that other stuff I felt was, was in their favor with punting it. Let's just now let's fast forward right to the final series. BC, great return. Michael Walker close to midfield. I think about their own 40-yard lines where they started. And then, you know, a tough four and out. You're done. What was your thoughts on that series? Obviously, Jeff Smith had one go right through his hands. That would have been a first down. Uh, but uh, what, just as a QB perspective, how would you grade BC's last potential drive there with no timeouts? I mean, as a QB, it's an F because you get you get – four incompletions you can't have that you had plenty of time at that point there was a minute 45 minute 50 in college football the clock stopped on a first down even if only briefly they do it you have 60 yards to get a touchdown you basically need about 40 to get in the field goal range yep. florida state was playing soft coverage was giving bc a lot of easy completions i thought anthony brown missed an early one on first down the throw to jeff smith jeff smith's open but it's down by his ankles tough to really blame him that's a tough catch to make and then BC not used to playing in that situation where they're forced to throw the ball. And I thought, um, you know, with a four-man rush, Anthony Brown could have taken, you know, some underneath stuff and didn't need to push it so far down the field. I thought, you know, completions and getting yardage, letting your guys catch the ball and run with it. Kobe White proved that earlier in the game when he caught an early in the third, fourth quarter. He catches a screen pass, breaks three or four tackles on third and long and converts. If you get the ball in your playmakers' hands and allow them to do something with it, that helps, and you can still spike it and do a lot. At that point in time, you're just looking to get completions. You don't need to really push the ball super, you know, far down the field. You have a minute and 40 when they had the ball, and they don't, they didn't have to go that far. I really thought that um, you know Anthony Brown didn't really kind of control that situation well. I thought he left the pocket a little bit too early, and even on the ones where he left, if he left and felt he could have scrambled, he should have scrambled because he had some room to use his legs and, and at least get some positive yardage, which makes it easier to convert on third and fourth down. How do you think Anthony Brown felt going into this game? I don't think he was 100%. Where, where do you – do you have any information on that and uh, coming off that Clemson injury where he came – I was almost surprised he came back a week later. 
Yeah, I mean, from all indications, you'd heard that he'd practiced all week and hadn't had any issues, so I, I didn't anticipate him not playing. Yep. Uh, he came out, he looked fine in warm-ups throwing the football, but I think you could tell by the first quarter and even the first half, he just he wasn't comfortable, he didn't, he didn't feel or, or throw himself. A good indication for when you're watching Anthony Brown and, and seeing if he's in a good rhythm throwing foot, the football is watching the trajectory of the ball. When the, when the ball comes out and the, t- and the nose and the, t- the tip of the ball is facing down, it means he's not in a good arm slot and a, and a good release point for him. And you watch a lot of those first quarter and first half throws, he just wasn't delivering the football accurately. When he's delivering the football and on some of those short to intermediate routes, the nose of the football is up and it, and it comes with some authority. And then his deep balls, then he's turning them over and giving his guys a chance to – to catch the ball and the ball's not taken off on him. He did a good job in the second half. I thought, you know, Scott Leffler did a good job of throwing early in, in, this, in uh, the, the downs and sequences to give him an opportunity versus some basic looks to get some completions. But, you know, a couple of his turnovers there are just big ones that you just can't have, especially when you're playing on the road, especially when you're playing a team that you should beat, that you're better than. You can't give them opportunities to hang around and let them stay in the game because the longer they do that, you know, the more likely they are to come back and make a play to win. And then, you know, just briefly before we get to Syracuse, another player is kind of surprising me now is A.J. Dillon. Uh, he's, he's limping all across the field. He still gets 30-plus carries a game. No other running back is close to him if carries. What's your whole take on this with A.J. Dillon? It's, it's a lot of times it's almost painful to watch, Scott. That, you know, he's obviously not 100%. Yeah, he seemed to be running better this weekend. I thought he he ran the ball with some with a little more tenacity and, and downhill uh, authority. I think the key to, to him being in there is that uh, he got he got a lot of carries early because Anthony Brown's struggling. So you have to find some way to get your offense going, and he's the guy, you know, your best player on offense. So you have to give him the ball in that situation and. As a player and as a coach, like, if you're good to go, you, like, put me out there. And if he didn't feel good to go, he's, you know, it's his job to, you know, to kind of say I'm out. But if he's in the game, you have to expect that he's ready to go and, and you you want to get him the ball because he's your best player. And especially with your second best player struggling, you need to find some way to, to establish some rhythm and to find some, some offensive flow that works. And if you look at the second half, BC had some good drives. And they used it because he was in the backfield and were able to set up some of those play-action passes that got some shots down the field. And then it opened up some bigger opportunities for him to run the football. But 37 carries is a lot for me. I just think that there's some, some other guys that could probably tote the ball and, and do a good job doing it. I thought 37 was a lot. But in the end, if you're going to go down and you're going to play, you want to have your, your best players with the ball in their hands. Uh, also, let's let's defensive side. How about Zach Allen? I mean, you can't sing enough praise for him. He's sing, a lot of times just dominating every series here on the defensive side uh, for the Eagles. Yeah, and I was surprised to see his numbers. He did win ACC Defensive Lineman of the Week, but I thought he would have had some more pressures and more hurries, to tell you the truth. Six tackles, one sack, block field goal, a couple QB hurries. He was in the backfield the entire day, and by the end of the game, Florida State was leaving their running back in the chip on him just because he was just doing such a number on their tackle. And he just played so well. Physicality at the, at the point of attack. Pass rush with some speed coming around the edge. 
he was really a force out there and really really did a number on Florida State's offensive line. Scott, you were on the way home, the team charter. Just, you know, some losses hurt more than others. This one is right up there. Does this one rank for you in terms of seeing the team reaction, one of the worst losses you've seen um, in your time with the BC Eagles? It, it, just because it's a game you should have won. Yeah, I, I, it, it, I wouldn't say – I mean, maybe from the time in which I've been covering the team broadcasting. Yep, yep. Uh, that was a tough loss for them. You could feel it on, on the plane that that was one that they had let get away from them. And I felt that they got away with some things in Virginia Tech because in the second half they were so dominant were able to insert their will. And they were on that way against Florida State, and they just didn't close out. And you could feel that sense of angst, regret, and hurt that they didn't finish that out because they had those expectations that they, they went in there expecting to win and expecting – they were. I felt they were the better team physically. Um, obviously the scoreboard says differently, but – when you lose a game that you're supposed to win, it's not a good feeling because you, you feel that you let one slip away, and it's your chance to, to, to mark, you know, your season and to make it a big statement. And for these seniors and from where they've come from, they really wanted to be a part of that, you know, big transition from what they started at in 2015 to where they would finish now in 2018. And it would have been a nice culmination for them to kind of finish that off and, and then, you know, hopefully beat Syracuse this weekend and, and go into the, you know, go into the bowl season with a 9-3 and three record. Yep, and that's a great segue. So now BC's 7-4. The best they can do is 8-4 for the regular season. And, uh, and, you know, unfortunately, that's it's pretty close to 7-5 last year. So you're sitting at 7-2. BC fans wanted more, I think, than even an 8-4 record. Yeah, with the talent on this team, you can see why the expectations were high. You had an offensive line that's been together for a while. You have A.J. Dillon coming back. You have Anthony Brown coming back from, from his injury as an experienced quarterback with some skilled guys that have the ability to make some plays. Uh, I felt offensively, B.C. was in a very good position to have a big year. Defensively, you have, you know, we always talk about Zach Allen and Wyatt Ray, but you also have... Connor Strahan and, and the linebacking core coming back after after injury. Will Harris um, has been has been great uh, back there in the back end of the secondary. Lucas Dennis, another guy that has played very well. You had a lot of experience back there, so you look at the experience BC brought back versus the other ACC teams in the division, and you expected the way in which they lined up that it lined up in their favor, and they should really have taken advantage of that. And, and I felt that at the beginning of the year, and I feel. I feel that now, as you look back and look at a couple games that have slipped through, you know, slipped through their fingers, that they probably, you know, could have won with a play here or there, or if they wouldn't have made as many mistakes. And if you look at the reoccurring theme, is what has killed this team this entire year is on the road, making mistakes and turning the football over, and not being able to execute on third down on offense to get off the get on stay on the field, and not able to get off the field on third down on defense and to keep teams. From, from moving the sticks and, and, and moving, you know, changing field position. Um, you know, Florida State brought back the, the quarterback run, like DeAndre Francois ran the ball well. That has been an Achilles heel for this BC team this year. Haven't seen a lot of it lately, but teams that have run the quarterback have done a good job doing that uh, this year, and BC has had a tough time stopping that, which is, you know, not a very good omen when you're play, coming into playing a Syracuse team with Eric Dungy, who's such a strong runner uh, on top of his skills as a quarterback. 
it's you know it's, it's not a good precedent to set going into this game. Yep. Good thing is BC is at home. Chance to go eight and four. Uh, Syracuse coming off a thirty-six to three, just a trouncing by Notre Dame at Yankee Stadium. Um, BC seven and a half point favorites right now, and Eric Dungey may or may not play, Scott. So just give us your, your keys to this Syracuse game from a BC perspective as they really have to forget about Florida State and just focus on finishing eight and four. Well, you know, the Eric Dungey factor matters. He's, he's a really good competitor. You've seen him play for a couple years. Did not get to see him, you know, last year because he was hurt in the last game of the season. But he brings a lot to that team, and a lot of their, their identity comes from him. He's very tough, very good runner of the football, can throw it as well. I think he might be battling an arm injury as well because he hasn't been throwing the ball as he's accustomed to. Their backup, Tommy DeVito, is a you know, elite 11 quarterback, very good, very talented quarterback, but a different type of quarterback than, than Eric Sanchi. But he's played in meaningful games this year. He's brought... Syracuse back, they, he helped them defeat North Carolina in overtime, and they played a, you know, a good amount against Notre Dame. The Notre Dame team is a wagon, I'll tell you that much. They're going to be in the mix here at the end. They're undefeated. We're, we're, we're probably going to finish the season undefeated um, and be in the college football playoff. So that's a good team that, that Syracuse has lost to. And if you look at the, the teams in which they've lost to, they're all pretty much quality teams. Um, so for B.C., it's kind of a simple game plan because as poorly as BC matched up against Florida State in the in the aspect of Florida State's run defense is very good and very talented. Syracuse's run defense is good but not great. Syracuse is very good on third down and turning and getting teams to turn the football over. Now BC at home has not turned the football over that much, but in third down and long, BC has struggled. BC's I think like 119th in the country out of 129 on third down. So BC cannot play from behind the sticks. But if BC has their ability to run the football and hit some big plays in the passing game, which suits kind of what they want to do on offense, uh, that will help them out. Defensively, they need to control the running game. They need to control Syracuse runs with about five different guys. Uh, need to control the quarterback run because if they don't control the quarterback run, it's going to be a long day and they're not going to they're not going to be able to get off the field on third down. Uh, BC, you know, as I mentioned earlier, they don't turn the ball over a ton at home, but if they can, you know, hold on to the football and turn Syracuse over a couple times, that's kind of the recipe for success. I really think uh, for BC to win this game because you're going to be outside. The elements definitely where you're in the dome. Syracuse loses that advantage. Their special teams are highly ranked. I think BC's return game can, can provide some dividends for them this game. Michael Walker has been outstanding, changing field position, making some big plays in the return game. If he can make some big plays and BC can run the football consistently with every so often hitting a big pass over the top and Anthony Brown doesn't turn the football over on offense, that's a recipe for them. And then defensively controlling Syracuse's running game, uh, turning them over and not giving them the, the, the big opportunities to hit the big play, and that's your recipe for success for BC to win on Saturday. Well, that's, I think that's going to be very key. Senior day, you know, go out on a good mark, eight and four. That's a lot. That is better than seven to five, no question about it, uh, Scott. So, and, and I, yep, I think the eighth, the, the eighth win means a lot. And yeah, no question, no question. So for the vanity aspect, uh, you know, Steve Dazio is only one, like his best season is 7-6, seven 7-6. Six, seven six. So that says a lot. To end the season with eight wins with the possibility of winning nine in a bowl game, that says a lot. Senior day is a really special time for these guys, and a lot of these big players on defense, on 
you know, and actually on both sides of the ball, you got a lot of guys that have played, you know, as true freshmen based on the numbers and certain things they had to go through. Your senior day is a really special moment. It's it's a celebration of your time at BC, and when you're in the middle of it or when you're a young guy, you don't appreciate how the hows and whys of everything. You just expect there's going to be another season, another game, another practice, another weightlifting thing. And now you're getting to that point where this is it. Like, this is my last chance. This is my last time to play with this jersey on at home, in front of my family, in front of my my friends, in front of my teammates, in front of my, you know, the alumni. And it means a lot. It carries a lot of weight, and it, it hits you a lot. It's an emotional game. You have to be able to control those emotions. But, you know, I remember my last game. You're thinking of, of all the things that you've gone through in your career, and you take – you take stock in those moments and, and remembering the good and bad times, and you just want to you want to have that one moment of holding on to it in that last senior moment where this is what I did on my senior day, and it, it meant so much to to not just me but my teammates and my brothers and my family and everyone. It's that one moment that you'll remember for the rest of your life, and it, it really carries a special weight in your heart. I remember mine. I'll, I'll never forget mine. For painful memories of it, but they're just—it's just a really special, special time, and it's great. And as an alumnus, as a former player, I'd say to people that listen to this: this is the moment that you come, and, and you know, it's not the fanfare of the red bandana game or the the prime time games, but this is the time to celebrate and pay homage to these guys that have gone through a lot and done a lot, and your support for these guys to come to see them and cheer them on in their last game at alumni means so much. It meant a lot to me. And to, to show these guys every, you know, that their hard work pays off and it's appreciated really means a lot to them and it means a lot to the program. Yeah, especially this class, too, from where they came 2013, 2014 till now. You know, you could, there's great progression that has been made. Absolutely. Well, Scott, last question before I go. Let's talk about what's your, we always talk about food. What's your favorite food from Tallahassee last week? Anything stick out in your mind? So, thanks to the uh, president of the, the Gridiron Club, Paul Cristioni, he got us a reservation at the Seminole Club where we went to, which is lovely. We had a nice dinner. I had a wonderful uh, grouper, which was caught locally and close by. Um, it was very ta- uh, very tasty over uh, uh, some quinoa and some asparagus. Very nice. Uh, good company with the broadcast crew and everyone. We had a really good time and everyone enjoyed themselves. That was a very nice a nice way to end the road season until the bowl season comes along, so I was really happy about that. And uh, for Thanksgiving, you know, as always, you know, you ask everyone's favorite thing. I always go with stuffing. That's my thing. That's A good made stuffing is the difference between a good Thanksgiving and a terrible Thanksgiving. So for all you out there, don't try to change the world with stuffing. No weird cranberries or walnuts. Make a good, staple, <laughs> solid stuffing so that it can go on the sandwiches afterwards. And don't ruin Thanksgiving by trying to be a hero with your stuffing. <laughs> well said. That's a key point. All right, Scott, have a good Thanksgiving. We'll see you Saturday. And hope we'll talk some bowl games next week. Uh, looking forward to talking bowl games, Mike, and have a great Thanksgiving with you and your family.